everybody. Welcome to another drive-through board game blog. Today I'm going to cover my top 10 games from 2011. And you may ask why 2011 is kind of a random year. Well, I get asked a lot to go back and re-review games that I played years ago. And so I uh, started doing the reviews at the beginning of 2011. And so it's been six years now. And, uh, you know, I, so it's hard to do that, though, because I sat down and was kind of walking through, you know, all the videos I did back at the beginning. And, uh, you know, has my opinion really changed? You know, not really. I don't think substantially enough to provide any kind of further insight. There may be some games, uh, you know, that are more insightful. And also about a year ago, I think it was maybe a little bit less than a year ago, I did a top 10 uh, games from like all of history up through the year 2000. And so I was kind of trying to follow up with that. And, you know, there's, I had some discussion with some various different folks. Do I keep doing that or whatever? Uh, going back up through the years after the year 2000, it, it's kind of tricky. So, you know, I kind of took a break in there from gaming. I played a lot between like 1999 into 2005 in there. We, we gamed uh, off and on, but you know, more frequently towards the latter part of that and so on. And I kind of took a little bit of a break just because, you know, different reasons. And so I was trying to kind of co coagulate all of this. And I got to about 2010, as I was kind of walking through and reviewing and saying, what's going to be an interesting video? 2010, you can go look at my top 100 video and like whatever game was from 2010, just work from number one and go backwards. <laughs> and that would be my top 10 because nothing's really changed then. Uh, so anyway, I just want to jump into the top 10 games of 2011. And it's kind of retrospective because that was the first year I did reviews and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so let me just jump in. I'll do two real quick honorable mentions before I get into the rest of these. Uh, they are Game of Thrones, uh, the second edition. Now this one would be very, very high on the list if it wasn't an honorable mention, but I didn't feel it was right because it wasn't really published in 2011. Second edition was which also included like the first expansion from the first edition. So it's not really a 2011 game and it would probably be, you know, easily in the top five of this list. So just so you know, and the other one is Eclipse, which really should be in the top 10 of this and very high up in the top 10, but it's kind of slowly been replaced. So it's kind of like, I think Game of Thrones and the Eclipse, if I was listing what I thought the best games were, they'd certainly be at the very, very top of the list, probably top three for both of them, honestly. But Eclipse is kind of being shoved out of my collection. Uh, you can kind of see it there behind me there, but I've got Clash of Cultures and also uh, Forbidden Stars, which is directly behind me. And those have really started to push out Eclipse. I still think Eclipse is great. I don't necessarily think the other games are better than Eclipse. I just will get these other two games to the table uh, you know, more often than I will Eclipse for sure, 100%. If you ask me, would you rather play Forbidden Stars or Clash of Cultures or Eclipse, I would be torn between Forbidden Stars and Clash of Cultures and Eclipse would be a very close second place or third place, uh, but definitely a second or third place. Not that one game is better than the other game, it's just that's my current choosing. Choosing. And, uh, and that, the last thing I want to mention here, and this is kind of dovetailing off my point I just made, is my problem with these top 10s and top 100s, and not so much uh, the folks that are presenting them, and not so much all the folks that are watching them, but some of the folks that watch them 
kind of assign like a gospel to the list. And they really equivocate and, uh, you know, sometimes when people present it, and I'm guilty of this, you kind of go back and forth between the difference between number two and number three, which especially when you do a top 100 games is ridiculous and silly. It does not matter the order when you have a giant list of 100 games. If any game is in your top 10, then it's all number one, right? That's just how it is. I think that's, I think to me that feels correct. Uh, so that's the one thing I try to get across and I probably bore everybody to tears because I usually make this kind of same point every time, but this is not like the gospel top 10. This is always in progress, always in motion. Everything's always in motion. And so this is just currently my little snapshot. And these are, these are all things that have stayed in my collection though. I think that's a very important thing uh, because they've, they've stayed in here you know, foreseeable future, they're probably gonna stay in there. So anyway, just wanna to get to that. The whole thing is a process. The top 10 is not best, best to worst or best to not as best. It's a process of going through the games and wanting to play all 10 games on the list equally, actually, I think in this case, uh, but just, you know, it's just different. Okay, number 10 is a king of Tokyo. And this is one that almost made my top 100 list when I was doing that list. Uh, very, very fun game. Had a chance to play this with the family, with the game group, and with the lunch group. Uh, don't bring it out at lunch too much because it is kind of noisy and loud. <laughs> so, you know, it's not really appropriate for a workplace environment, but we have brought it out a couple times. Uh, and so families loved it. Uh, the game group has loved it. The game group has not played it for some time, but there was a period of time where it was coming out uh, multiple times every week that we got together and we all had a good time uh, with it. It's one of the rare exceptions for me because I don't uh, particularly go after uh, Yahtzee style games as a general rule just because you know it's just some kind of idiosyncrasy with myself uh, that I don't really like that mechanic but for here it works because you've got crazy number of cards cool, funky, cartoonish creatures, lots of wild abilities, and a real good kind of yin and yang with the different ways that you can win the game. So that is number 10, King of Tokyo. Number nine is Omen, A Reign of War. Now this is a game by the designer John Cloudus, and he does his own games. He's got a company called Small Box Games. He does all his own designs, his own publishing. He does uh, outsources art. Uh, the pictures you're seeing here are from the Omega edition, which I think is the, as the name might suggest, kind of the final rendition, the final version of the game. And you can still get this from time to time. He will do like a Kickstarter to reprint it. He did one a couple of months ago. Uh, definitely, if he does it again, certainly pick it up. Now, this is a game that you've seen sort of a lot of um, copycats, not necessarily copycats, because I think they're all kind of designed in their own silos. But you have these games where you have sort of a center kind of row of cards and you're playing cards to different columns and things, trying to take control of locations. Or in the case of this game, kind of balancing taking control of locations versus doing kind of cool feats and accomplishing tricks and combos with your cards to score those instead. So again, you gotta have a yin and yang between uh, those two avenues for victory. Uh, now the Omega Edition's got a bunch of different kind of you know, bonuses and extra cards and stuff like that you can add into. Um, I would say, if you've not played it, to go into and just play the base game, play that a bunch of times, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times. And then you can start to add in the uh, the extras because the extras do add a good chunk. And I think they're, they're very fun after you've played the game a lot. Uh, but it's a very kind of different game. The pacing of the game is, uh, is different because <laughs> 
when you first start to play the game, the games are going to kind of end quickly. You can get kind of caught off guard. Uh, you might not you know, hedge your bets in the right way in terms of kind of the card advantage of the cards that you have in your hand and the resource advantage to play the big cards. So you have to really kind of watch out for that kind of stuff um, and then get it to a point where you're playing with somebody that has you know, played as much as you or you guys have played together a lot. And then you'll have some really, really good games come out of it. Uh, so it's very, very kind of a subtle game, I think. Uh, but it's got all those cool kind of special abilities, kind of like Magic the Gathering. And again, it has that good yin and yang, that back and forth balance between, you know, grabbing locations and kind of being a, a beat stick out on the field versus trying to set up certain types of cards that you can get. Because there's kind of like three, four classes of cards that can do different things and react different ways with some of the goals you try to accomplish. Uh, so that's Omen Reign of War. Definitely pick that up. It's not. It's a little bit rare, but not too rare, I think. Uh, number eight is Lancaster, and you can see here this has got a picture of the big box edition. I think this is the only edition that you can pick up nowadays, uh, which is good because it's got a couple of expansions bundled in. It's got a nice little insert and all that to keep all the uh, components very well organized and easy to break out. Uh, this is a very, very different kind of a worker placement game. And it kind of, it's a real kind of a straddle of kind of a hybrid game, but not like a Ameritrash in Euro, but like a weird negotiation into Euro game because you've got laws that you can vote on that are going to affect a scoring, affect uh, you know, different sort of uh, mechanics in the game. And you've got the, the worker placement mechanic that is more than just like put a worker out and do something. You've got different uh, strengths of workers. You've, you've got little squires that you can send along with your worker to kind of bump people out of a spot. And you're sort of collecting these nobilities and building up your own castle to give you more influence. And when it comes to the voting stage, and then you've almost got like this sort of uh, semi-co-op kind of thing, but don't if you don't like semi-co-ops, don't let that scare you away because it's not really semi-co-op in the mechanics. It just kind of feels that way where you are sort of uh, doing a little bit of a push-your-luck brinkmanship kind of idea with uh, invasions from France. Uh, and, and you guys are controlling England and trying to sort everything out after the kings have died or whatever. Um, so that's kind of a weird thing where you're trying to go up up to there and get points but you want other people to help you a little bit and stuff like that too so you can accomplish the goal so there's a lot of kind of cool different stuff going on for kind of euro uh, worker placement kind of idea uh, so definitely i recommend this game if you've not played it i think you can get it kind of on the cheap it's a queen games production and those seem to come out and be relatively okay price kickstarters and then you can get a bargain on it <laughs> not too long after that so definitely look for a bargain on that one because you can find one uh, number seven is a game that I did not play back in 2011. These other ones I did, but this one I did not play until a couple of years ago. And this is a Dwarf King, and this is a Bruno Fiduti game. This is one of those trick-taking games with a twist kind of ideas. And uh, this is a very, very uh, fun and funky uh, take on it and probably it you know one day or the other is going to be my favorite in this genre uh, because there's lots of wacky uh, goals that you can get to change up what the desired cards are that you're going to collect and there's some special cards with some different special effects and things like that too 
but it's basically a standard trick-taking game that you're gonna have different scoring every round, so the strategy is gonna change. Sometimes you want tricks, sometimes you don't want tricks. Sometimes you want very specific tricks with very specific cards, and that's when it, what's gonna give you your points. And there's a lot of different goals in there, and there's a lot of goals to kind of choose from over the course of the game, and that makes it very interesting because you can sit down, you can play it, and each hand within that session is gonna be very different uh, mindset going into how you're trying to slough off cards or kind of dominate and hopefully control uh, you know where the tricks go and stuff like that there's even goals that you want players to your left and right to win tricks which is very very weird but it's a very very fun game nicely illustrated and all that kind of good stuff again this is probably one of my favorite uh, games in that whole trick-taking style uh, genre and the next one is 10 9 8 Seven six is Rapa Nui, and this one I apologize for, because I think this is one that's tricky to find. It's never been brought, to my knowledge, over to the United States. Uh, you have to go print out the rules on BGG, uh, which are fine. Uh, there is no real text on any of the cards or anything that is game rule text. There's a couple of player aids that have German text on them. This is a weird, wonky, wacky game. This has been a big time favorite with my lunch group. And it's basically a stock game where you have kind of four columns of these different cards that you're pulling and drafting to add to your hand and then to play. And you are sort of triggering these like production you know events depending on the type of card that you reveal underneath it you're going to trigger wood production or fish production and you get these different resources that you can then sacrifice uh, to uh, the gods and then you're going to then try to have these different sets of these cards to score and get the most points for the different sets and then there's some other cards that will just give you straight points like you can build these uh, white temples and activate these priests which will give you points during the game and so on so you're kind of watching these sort of markets, these columns of cards almost become markets. And you know, you're trying to think like, how many of these cards have come by? What's the probability? Am I trying to really dominate a certain type? Cause you get bonuses if you have the most of things and stuff like that. So it's a really different game, very, very light in a way, uh, but very engaging in the player to player type of thing. And there's a little bit of bluffing uh, with kind of the sacrifice phase when you put some of the cards on the sacrifice stone. Uh, now, there's, there's a couple ways you can actually play that, just so you know, uh, we've played around with like face-up sacrifices where you kind of see, you know, what everybody else is doing or kind of simultaneous or just all face down or one face up because you flop one off the deck. Uh, so you can kind of play with that. Yeah, it doesn't really matter to me. It just kind of changes up, you know, how you approach uh, that phase. But very, very interesting game. Definitely track it down if you can. I wouldn't pay too much for it, but it's really fun and very different. I have not seen a game really quite like this. It's by the designer of uh, Carcassonne as well. Uh, so very, very fun game. Now, number five is uh, Castles of Burgundy. Big surprise. Uh, this is a Steffen Feld game. I think this was, no, this was not my first Steffen Feld game. It was one of my first Steffen Feld games, but uh, this one keeps coming out, uh, mostly with the family. This is probably, I think it was with the kind of the top family game. 
it was in the top five for sure. But this one is really cool. Very, very simple mechanics. Lots of different you know, points and ways to score points and sort of little minor kind of combos you can do with the two dice. A lot of people have talked a ton about Castles of Burgundy. I did a pretty extensive review of it. Uh, and there's been other reviews, of course. Uh, this is one I would say everybody should try this game and see if they really like it. Maybe give it one or two whacks because it can be a little bit like, whoa, what's going on? There's all these different tiles and I can ship stuff and I can you know, get workers and da 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 and I can buy things sometimes and use my dice for other things. So definitely give this one maybe two plays, uh, but I think most people should enjoy this game, I, I would expect. Um, I've, I've actually played this at lunch at work, uh, believe it or not. We played it, this was way back I think it was in 2011, actually. Uh, we played a two-player every game of it. We, we got it done in 45 minutes. Now, we had both played the game uh, a few times, I think. I had played it a few times. I'm not sure if my opponent had played it a few times. But, uh, yeah, so you can get it done pretty quick. You know, 45 minutes for a two-player game, no problem. Uh, we were kind of rushing, I remember. But uh, had a success with it, definitely with the gamer group and with the family. And, uh, and I, you know, I've talked to so many people that really love this game. It's one of their favorite games of all time. Uh, not much else really to say about this that hasn't been said. Uh, Castle of Burgundy. And number four is Eminent Domain. And this is for sure one of my favorite card games. Now it's kind of a deck building game. It kind of takes some hints from Race for the Galaxy with the different kind of roles you can do, the way the different phases work when you're trying to sort of build up and colonize planets in your display or you're trying to do uh, shipments and production and trade and, and get points that way. It's got a ton of combos and different things, especially once you add the expansion. Uh, there's so many different things you can like, you know, upgrade your special cards to, and that's kind of where the deck building comes in. And uh, this one, though, I think this one is really best uh, as you learn the game as a two, three, and then a four-player game. When you're first learning the game, the four-player uh, vibe, the four-player pacing is a little bit hard to handle because the game can end pretty quickly but you're like i was just starting to figure out how to play and then after you play a couple times i was just starting to figure out what to do and then the game is over it's not one of those that'll end like right as it gets good it ends before it gets good when you play especially with three uh, and it's like a three-player short game and a four-player game i prefer my favorite way to play a game is a three-player long game uh, so because i like it with more players I like that little bit extra time to kind of go after things. But, you know, as you play it more, you start to be able to know all of the cards that are available, especially as you add the expansions. That's the only thing about the expansions is if you throw everything in there, it's like, what? This is like the hugest tech tree I've ever seen. What does this card do? How's that going to interact? Is that a good card? I don't know. She took this card. She's kicking my butt with this one, you know. Like, it's a, there's a lot to go into. So that's probably my one kind of knock against. It's not really a knock because it's just like there's so many options to choose from once you get Exotica and, uh, was it Escalation or whatever the ex other expanses are. So, yeah, and this is one I would say, uh, the base game, get that, if you've not played it, and then get the first expansion. But I don't think the first expansion is one of those is like necessary to like fix the game. But I think it's necessary after you've played the base game, you know, X number of times. Um, 
I would say 100% you should get that first expansion, but don't dive into that you know right away, similar to kind of what I was saying about Omen, where you want to have them there, you want to kind of learn the game, get good at the, the base game, and then start adding in that first expansion, and you get some really funky ways to kind of make it a little bit more asymmetrical, and you know things like that, and you add in a lot more cooler technologies and things. Uh, but I th definitely think the expansions are worth it. They're just not necessary. Uh, you, you know, I, could, I think you could get away with not playing with the expansions at all if you really wanted to. If you didn't want to get that crazy amount of combos and technology cards. Anyway, so that is number four, Eminent Domain. Now number three is Airlines Europe. This is another kind of family favorite. It stayed in the collection uh, largely because of that, but the gamer group has also liked it as well. Uh, this is kind of um, what I would sort of prefer people play. Well, this is, that sounds really jerky. I'm gonna leave it in there. I was gonna edit that out. I'm like, don't say that. But this is what I would prefer, what I would prefer to play. That's a much better way of saying that, you jerk. Uh, and, and, and over Ticket to Ride. Now it's the same designer. Uh, Alan Moon and uh, this one though has almost the same simplicity as Ticket to Ride. Granted it's not as simple because Ticket to Ride is either take cards or play cards. This one has a little bit more you can do and it has a little bit of kind of money and economy but there's so much again subtlety with this game that really has just locked it in and this I think is a, is a true classic of a game honestly it uh i mean honestly it's probably the best game on this list i think if you were to if you know you were to transport yourself into a hundred years even number one and two i've got on my list airlines europe is the one i think will still be around like a hundred years i mean a hundred years <laughs> i'm not I'm not joking a hundred years from now i think people will still be playing airlines europe that would be we'd be in good shape if we're still around let me caveat that if people are around, someone will be playing Airlines Europe, hopefully, unless it's like Mad Max. But even then, someone will remember the rules and the card counts. Somebody will exist. All right, I'm totally going off track, but I'm gonna leave that in. So Airlines Europe is fantastic, elegant. There's lots of subtleties to the way the board shakes out, what you go after. Uh, you're putting out these airlines out onto the board and trying to invest in stock and, and kind of back different ones and try to be the leader of them. And there's a real kind of interesting pacing in terms of like, okay, I'm taking cards, I'm taking cards. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm building up the airline. Am I building it up for somebody else? They're, they've got a ton of cards they've been hoarding and I've built up yellow and they're gonna lay down a bunch of yellow stock or just, there's just yellow cards, but what it is is stock. Uh, so that's what keeps it interesting. And you know, as the routes kind of get gobbled up, like how much further can I drive this up? Is it really worth it to buy those extra airlines to bump it up into the next bracket so it scores that many more points? Um, it's all very, very, very simple. You either pay some money, throw out some airlines, and then you grab a card. Or you lay some cards down from your hand and those become stock when they're in front of you. And you get a little bit of money when you do that or you can, um, you can trade in cards for this one weird airline, which is really cool, but you just trade some cards for that and there's nobody ever buys planes in that and then you also take money. Uh, so yeah, so that's it. Those one, you do one of those four actions and it just goes around. It does actually work very well with two players. It's got a weird kind of funky third player kind of thing. I have played it with two players and I, I did enjoy it. Um, that, that's not certainly something I would say going with your first play maybe because it's just, you get that extra kind of crutch to, 
to mess with, but after you played a few times, you should be able to pick up uh, kind of why, you know, why they made the design, design decisions they did uh, to make it work with two players. So, but it plays good all the way up to the other counts as well. Again, 100 years. Mark my words, YouTube, don't delete this video. And we're gonna see. I will be gone. Yes, I will be gone. <laughs> but people will still be playing Airlines Europe. Uh, Trajan is my number two, another Stefan Feld game. Uh, this one uh, is my favorite Stefan Feld game. I go back and forth between this and uh, Bore Bore, but I think this is my favorite over that one. Um, this is a really funky game. It's got a lot of interlocking mechanics and locations on the board to do crazy things. And you start to put out workers and activate your Trajan tiles and put, move your military guy around and ship goods and just run up a Senate track and try to get so quote unquote votes for that. Uh, the real heart of the game is that sort of Moncala type of thing where you're dropping tokens and getting little bonuses and, and trying to sort of beef up your actions and all that kind of stuff. Uh, really kind of obtuse, I would say certainly through your first play, maybe your second play. I think it took me two full plays at the time to begin to understand what's interesting and what's fun and what's cool about the game. Uh, several more plays to kind of figure out how to react to what the other players are doing and all that kind of good stuff. Uh, so this is a game that you're gonna get a lot of mileage out of. And it is really a very, very interesting uh, design in terms of you know, what you can do and how to sort of time everything and how you can kind of get yourself kind of screwed up with uh, the Mancala and all that kind of good stuff. And it's just a really, really heady design. I won't talk too much about mechanics or anything here. Again, I did a pretty extensive review of this and there's been other reviews. If you wanna learn how to play the game, definitely watch that. Um, but yeah, I, this is another one I definitely recommend and give it, again, one or two plays. Uh, like I said with Burgundy, just to kind of get through that initial learning curve. Uh, but definitely highly recommend that one. And my last game is Urban Sprawl. And I'm being shot with bullets because nobody likes this game, even in my game group. <laughs> nobody likes the game. So there's something wrong with me, I guess. But I really like this game. I might get snarky. I'm going to get sort of snarky, but it's tongue-in-cheek because we're all friends. <laughs> but I think nobody has actually played SimCity on the computer. Because the biggest complaint that I hear about this game is the level of uh, disasters and events and things that kind of unfold and they're they're out of my control and i'm like that is isn't that exactly what happens in SimCity? it's been honestly it's been probably in since the 90s that i played a SimCity game uh so i don't have a good recollection but i thought the whole thing was you kind of micromanage people for a while and then this stuff happens and then it all goes and you kind of recover so that's what urban sprawl really is now it's got a, a bit more going on than that because you're trying to sort of control the different locations uh, you know on the board with your your colored uh, little Tetris blocks and you're trying to get yourself set up in certain neighborhoods and kind of control those neighborhoods uh, in a way and then get yourself set up to actually win elections based on how you're controlling the board and that is really the trick of the game. Now the events in there are certainly in there to throw that all out of balance and make it wacky. Uh, I've seen there's some variants online about how you kind of shuffle events and stuff like that. But I, once you play it a couple of times, you are prepared to a degree to deal with the events and deal with you know, the elections as they come up and some of the different kind of payouts and things that'll get triggered. And so 
uh, it, to me, it feels very, very realistic, almost to the level of simulation. I mean, it's like simulated chaos and that kind of stuff. Now, the designer, Chad Jensen, admittedly, he does another one of my favorite games, which is Combat Commander, which you can sort of see, not like design hallmarks, but you can see kind of that same vibe <laughs> with the, the amount of chaos from card flips and things that's going to happen. Uh, so this one, I, I don't recommend this one. Honestly, I love it. I think it's great. It works fantastic two-player. It's a great, amazing two-player game. I would say that's my fair way to play the game because that's honestly the only time I can get people to play it with me. Um, I played over Vassal a few times and it works great as a two-player game there. Uh, you got to play it live though. It's not one of those you can play by email. A lot of Vassal games are nice because you can like take your turn, email, okay, you know, get back to me tomorrow when you take your turn. This one doesn't really work that way because there's so much that can happen. Uh, but it, I would say if you do play it over Vassal, play it live with somebody, block out a few hours, and then uh, play it. Um, but this one I feel like would is is probably better with four player. But honestly, a lot of people don't like this game. I think there's like a very, 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 very tiny, tiny, tiny hardcore fan base of this game that understands the game and gets it, and it, it just you know it, it it jives with them and nobody else. <laughs> but I really enjoy it. It's one you gotta play a few times and you have to come at it with, see this is the weird thing about it, like you can't come in with like this kind of a stodgy Euro train game attitude. You've got to come at it with more the Ameritrash attitude, but that's this isn't the type of game that a Ameritrash player likes to play. <laughs> so, you know, so because it's boring city management, you know, it's not really that exciting of a theme and it's too chaotic for somebody that wants to like lock in the math and optimize the strategy you know it's you know you're gonna get screwed out of stuff so but i've not seen really any bad outcomes I, i've seen some weird things happen people are like oh god it's event 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 and then you know election election da, 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 you know but then it kind of mitigates and shakes that out and you have a kind of peaceful time everybody gets kind of set up you can you can kind of bide your time and get yourself get yourself a little nook or cranny in a different part of the board yeah and then you can if you get kind of behind you usually catch up if you play right i've seen that you know come from behind victories or you almost you know you're down by like 40 and you come you're you lose by two at the end uh you just kind of learn to ride that wave you know none of this is helpful to anybody <laughs> but i really recommend it if you can give it a try uh, maybe throw on the vassal module and if you got a friend that you can try it with and work through a little bit and if you can kind of see if you just it, the thing is it goes a little bit long i think for people it certainly is a long game it's going to take you three four if you play four players you know up to five hours uh maybe longer you know because especially as you're learning the game if you sat down with four new players everybody who learned you know had the rules and you did the rules and you did that it would take forever but yeah, so I think it's an excellent experience, a great game. I really get attached to the whole city vibe of it, kind of that cutthroat election, politicking kind of thing, different neighborhoods, different types of buildings, trying to score and do, you know, kind of do a push your luck kind of thing. Uh, yeah, so it, it, it all kind of works very, very well as a cohesive whole. It's a little long. I mean, it goes long, that's for sure. So I don't think, like I said, you know, Airlines Europe, I think is going to be played in 100 years. Um, I'd rather play Urban Sprawl, definitely. And if I had the time and the day, you know, I would certainly pick Urban Sprawl. If I, here's the thing, if I had the time, 
I would rather play one game of Urban Sprawl than, you know, three, four games of Airlines Europe. That's it. So anyway, there's my top 10. Like I said, all those caveats at the beginning. I uh, hope you enjoyed the video. I'll try to do move into 2012. It's, you know, I'll give it a few months. I'll, I'll kind of like catch up to like five years ahead and then, you know, we'll see how I feel like next year, maybe just wrap through it all. Uh, but I will do a, I know people have asked me about a top 100. I will do kind of like a, a board game shelf overview. Usually it's like a 45 minute video. I did that once, people seem to really like that one. Uh, I'll just kind of blow through my shelves and stuff and talk about the stuff I have on my shelf at work and all that kind of stuff. So it's kind of a top 100. I just won't order them because the order doesn't matter. Okay, thanks.